There are a lot of names people give Jesus, um, a lot of names that he has been called. Some by folks just around, some by the Bible, uh, and many of them are famous ones. The great physician or the great healer, uh, son of God, right? There's a thing. Uh, savior, redeemer, uh, some of the more modern ones, right? Buddy Jesus. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of names for Jesus, a lot of names that he has been called. Um, but there's something that he does all the time that has somehow never made it into a name. One of my favorite things about Jesus has never become a title, and so I'm going to make it his title, just for me, just for us, <laughs> which is Jesus, the great questioner. Jesus, the one who asks. A lot of people, the way that they talk about Jesus, right, is as the solution to our problems. We have a question, Jesus is the answer. And in many ways, that's true, right? If our question is, who loves me? If our question is, are things okay? If our question is, am I good and am I of worth? Jesus is the answer, and the answer is yes. But for a lot of things, Jesus isn't an answer. Jesus is a companion along the way. Jesus is a friend, and Jesus is a mentor, and Jesus is an asker over and over again of questions that we are called to live with, to live with, not to try and get rid of, because doubt makes us too uncomfortable. <laughs> you look at the slim books of the Gospels, right, a few pages that tell one of the greatest stories on earth, Jesus asks at minimum, depending on your understanding of grammar and language and blah, 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 at minimum 135 questions of the people around him. Most of his sermons are not, here's how it is, and here's how it goes, and here's what to do next. They are, here's a story, and what do you think? <laughs> here's a story, and what happens next? Jesus is a big asker of questions as well as teller of tales, and here are a few of my favorites, just a sampling. If you greet only those who are your brothers, what are you doing any more than anyone? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Why worry about clothes? Jesus is very anti-worry. Right? Jesus does not want anxiety for us. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Who do you say I am? Who are you? Identity for Jesus is not a static thing that he has the answer to. It is a question that we are asking together. What do you think? What do you want? Do you want to get well? <clears throat> Jesus doesn't assume that he knows where people are going when he meets them in moments of miracles or healing or teaching. Jesus asks. Jesus has questions for us, sometimes hard ones. Why are you trying to kill me? The question that I think is often on all of our hearts, the question that helps me know that Jesus was human like I am human, and Jesus knows what I'm dealing with and what you're dealing with, do you love me? Who hasn't asked that? Right? Do you love me? And then there's a question that Jesus asks in the story today, a story of a storm and confusion. 
confusion and pain, where is your faith? Where is your faith? A big asker of questions. And it's not just as Jesus, God is an asker of questions. So in the first conversations in the Hebrew Bible of God with people, where are you? Where are you going and who should I send? These questions are questions for us. Not to be answered one time, but to be answered over and over again. And that is especially true of the one from this story. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? In some ways, right, people do interpret this as an accusation. People in the boat are scared. He wakes up and he's like, ugh, obviously I'm going to stop the storm, right? Like, I'm Jesus. I control weather. Calm down. Where is your faith? Why were you ever afraid? But I think it is also a gift that he is offering them. Where is your faith? Because it's a question that we all need to be asking because none of us ever stay the same two days in a row. For none of us is our faith ever the same two days in a row. For none of us is our relationship with God and the things that draw us closer into it the same two days in a row. Think about Peter in that boat. Peter freaked out, Peter crying, Peter thinking he's going to die. For Peter, his faith has a real up and down uh, quality to it, right? You've got, it's not a real journey. Peter at the beginning is so faithful that he follows when told. Then in this boat, he's a little bit like, okay, Jesus, like I'm down with you, but also uh, I don't like storms, right? Uh, later he will deny Jesus because his faith does not stand up to the difficulties of the world, and he is in a time of real doubt and confusion about what is happening. At other times, he's in a place of total conviction. He knows what the right answers are, and he's willing to be uh, kind of a jerk about making sure that other people follow what he thinks the rules are. And at other times, his faith is so strong that it converts hundreds to come to this person who is Jesus and to see what Jesus has done in Peter's life because they want Jesus to change their lives too. If Peter's faith was never the same two days in a row, if Jesus' questions were never the same two days in a row, why would we think that faith is just one thing, that faith is just one answer, and that our faith won't change a thousand times over the course of these lifetimes we are living? This is the same thing that Kohelet is getting at. Kohelet's the other name of Ecclesiastes, this book that we read um, from the Hebrew Bible, uh, from a genre that I love called wisdom literature which half means, like, super smart and godly uh, self-help. <laughs> and half means we couldn't come up with another name for it. Right? Wisdom literature is Job, and it's poetry, and it's hard stories, and it's interesting things, and it's this God, Kohelet, who is trying to figure out what it means to live a good life. What it means to live a life that is satisfactory, that is fulfilling. Um, that's meaningful, that's worth something, that's, that's good to live. Um, and he spends a book telling us, telling us about all the things he's tried. He's tried a lot of things. He tried reading everything, right? He tried knowledge as the solution to a good life. He tried to learn all that there was to learn, and at the end figured out that he was never going to know everything. So that seemed like not a great path. And then he tried working hard. What if I, what if I make all the money? What if I achieve all the achievements, right? I get all power-ups. Maybe that'll feel satisfying and fulfilling. That doesn't work either. 
And then he says, okay, well, what if I just like really lean hard into physical pleasure? <laughs> what if I eat all the tasty things and sleep with all the people and go to all the parties? Um, and that doesn't feel quite meaningful or fulfilling either. And so he's tried all of these things and, and he even tries going hard in on piety, right? What if I prayed every moment of the day and I did all the disciplines and I went to all the places? Maybe then I would feel totally fulfilled. And in the end, um, he sort of discovers uh, there's not one answer. There's not a way. There's not an unlocking of this key. Uh, all of it is going to take place. Sometimes I'm just going to be sad, and sometimes I'm just going to be happy, and different things are going to happen to me, and I'm going to try a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of merriment and a little bit of prayer, and life is going to happen anyway. And all I can do is hope that God is with me and pay attention. And pay attention. Because this is the hard part, even once we know, as the song says, right, that there's a time for everything. There's a time for mourning and a time for dancing, a time for weeping and a time for joy, a time for war and a time for peace. The tough part is figuring out what time it is. Figuring out what time it is in your life, what time it is in your community's life, discerning where you're at right now. Where is your faith? Where are you? Where is God? And what does that mean for the foot you put out into the universe and for the step that you take into this world? Because there are a lot of different ones. There are a lot of different seasons, right? For all of us, winter is coming. <laughs> but so is summer, and so is spring, and so is fall. And how are we prepared for all of it? How are we prepared for any of it? Figuring out where you are is the tough part. For me, the, the answer to where is your faith has changed a lot. And your journey might be different, but I find it helpful to think about, um, I grew up in a non-religious family. I wasn't uh, instructed in a religion. I didn't have any spiritual practices. I had a great family, taught a lot of great values. But that was a part of my life. Um, and late in my teens, I converted to Christianity. And I was going to um, a church on Sunday mornings, and I had an evangelical youth group, and I moved to another state in, a, in service and like lived in an intentional Christian community, and I was like all in on Jesus. <laughs> and those first two years, maybe more, um, faith was so easy for me. If you had said, where is your faith? I would have said, right here, baby. <laughs> right here. I cried every time I went to a worship service. Every, every time. Every time. My intimacy with God was just so present to me and so strong. It felt like it was right there all the time. I felt such confidence in God's presence in my life and that God was with me as I made every decision I was making and that I was fully loved and other people were too. And I had so many feelings and I was feeling all of them at once. <laughs> and I was just with God and it was beautiful. It was really beautiful and it was a wonderful experience. Um, and then one day, well maybe, Maybe it was a little bit on a bunch of days. I can't even tell looking back, but one day I woke up and that wasn't what was happening for me anymore. Things didn't feel quite as immediate, um, quite as uh, uh, deeply emotional every time. I didn't have that easy confidence 
I would go to worship and I would feel something. I still prayed. Uh, but, but that sense of just totally being surrounded wasn't there anymore. Wasn't there anymore. And, and for a while, I worried that uh, I was doing something wrong, right? That I should be um, believing differently or praying differently or serving differently, right? I wasn't as, I was active enough in the world. If I served more people, if I did more justice, I would feel that way again. Um, or if I read more Bible, if I prayed more, I would feel that way again. And that didn't seem to make a difference. And then there was a time when I worried that God, like, God just wasn't that into me anymore. God had moved on to new and fresher converts, right? God was just not going to be present in my life that same way again. Um, and that was just how it is, and it was just going to hurt and be terrible. Um, but that didn't necessarily feel like the God that I knew either. Um, and I didn't know, but I had had such profound experiences with God that I stuck with some of the things, right? I kept going to worship. I kept talking to my friends who were Christian. I kept being open and honest about my questions, my doubts, my pains. Um, I had a small group. And over time, things never became again what they were in the beginning, but they became something different and new, something deeper and richer, actually that first thing that I had had, which was an abiding sense of the presence of God in my life um, as something less like a jacket I was surrounded by and more like a wellspring that was there. Um, a wellspring of love and the times when I needed more love and confidence, a wellspring of knowledge and the times when I felt like there were things I, I needed to know more about, the wellspring of comfort and the times when I was sad, but also of challenge and the times when I was complacent. And that took a long time and it took some reaching out. Um, I was lucky that I was surrounded by different spiritual mentors who handled spiritual life in different ways, right? Um, I started journaling, I stopped journaling, I started journaling, I stopped journaling, I started journaling. I started journaling then for a couple months. Um, someone gave me a breath prayer to use because I had a lot of anxiety. And, and when I breathed in, I would say, Jesus Christ. And when I breathed out, I would say, have mercy on me. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And uh, I went to different kinds of service events because I knew that that was a place where I had met God. And I went to protest for that that was a place where I had met and as I found this deeper, richer thing, as I sought in the way that I had been sought, um, I realized that while there were really beautiful things about that first phase of my faith, there are things that I would never give up. Um, it wasn't actually what I wanted all the time. Because when I was in that early, intense stage, I did have that just confidence and intimacy, but I also... Um, had a very black and white understanding of who God was. A very just one way understanding of who God was. The gift of it was that I felt God in every decision I made. But the pain of it was that I felt like God had a right and wrong answer to every decision that I made. Um, I would agonize, right? Like, do I go to Panera for lunch or do I go to the local coffee shop for lunch? God, tell me what to do. 
Do I date this boy or do I date this other boy? God, tell me what to do. Do I move here or do I move there? God, tell me what to do. Do I go to this college? Do I go to this college? God, tell me what to do. And it wasn't just that I was inviting God into my life. It was that I thought there would be really bad consequences if I chose wrong. I thought that God had one path per person, right? One road per individual, and that it was really easy to veer off. And he had to keep on the way. He had to keep going the right way. And, and as I got to a place where my faith was in a different um, nature, a different place in my heart, a different rootedness, a different set of practices, I realized that, that was like a very, very small vision of who God was. That if God is a God we can mess up through one uh, different choice, it's a real time God. That if God is a God who only has one road per person, that's not the God I see in the scriptures who keeps chasing after Abraham as he like messes up and messes up in place after place. That's not the God that I see chasing after Joseph and Jacob even as they ignore him or literally wrestle him or uh, do the exact opposite of what they've been told. That God is a big God who can deal with whatever, who does deal with whatever, and who delights and is joyful at seeing what we do with our freedom. God's not afraid of our freedom. God has many paths for us, many ways for us to veer, and it's sometimes in the veering that we find God and Jesus most fully. I found something deeper and richer along the way because those hills and those valleys, um, they're not blocks to our spiritual life. They're how spiritual life happens. They're the thing that life is made of. But it's hard. It's hard to ask yourself, where is my faith? It's hard to find in yourself ways to move forward. Because for so many of us, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines or spiritual seeking, um, the world has told us that those are like one more thing on the to-do list, one more should to judge yourself by, one more way to figure out that you're the worst. And this is not a modern problem. Anybody know who the Desert Fathers are? Have you ever read the Desert Fathers? I would commend to you the sayings of the Desert Fathers. A bunch of dudes in the third century who ran away to the deserts of North Africa because the world just seemed too much for them. And they lived together in monastic community and they grew some food and they ate some food and they prayed a lot and they talked a lot. And they broke down some of what they said. And one of the things that I think about all the time is John the Dwarf, today we would call him John the Wilkerson, but I want to quote correctly, um, said, one of the great monks, said, uh, one of the hard things, right, and I'm paraphrasing, one of the, the, the hardest things about our spiritual life is that so many of us have given up the easy work we are offered of self-examination, self-examination, looking at ourselves, seeing where we are, in favor of self-justification, of looking at ourselves and saying, good, bad, yes, no, worthy, not worthy. What we have been asked to do by God is just look at ourselves, examine ourselves, say, where is our faith? How might things be? What might be going on in my soul? How's my soul doing today? But instead, we think the work is self-justification. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Do I meet the standard? Am I actually loved? We've turned it into a yes-no, on-off switch, and then of course it's terrifying. 
Because if the answer can be, I'm worthless, if the answer can be, I'm bad, why would we ever ask the question, how is my soul? Why would we ever ask the question, how am I? But that's not how those questions work. Those can't be the answers. The answer to how is it with my soul is always going to be a lot of things. Right? There are things that make me joyful and things that make me sad. The answer to how am I is always going to be a lot of things. Some things that I'm proud of and want to continue to be, some things that I'm so great, I can be a real jerk about this, I can be really mean or cruel about this, and I want to change that about myself. We're always a mix. And the answer to where is God in all of it is always everywhere. There aren't parts of your life that God's in and other parts where God's absent. God's in all of it. Ancient navigators found a lot of ways to move through the sea. Right? They follow the stars, find direction. The best of the ancient navigators, the Polynesian navigators, learned the wind routes. They could look at a wave and tell where it was coming from and what direction it was going. They found a lot of ways to get around the world, but all of them were based on looking out, seeing the future, where we were headed, what direction we were going. Only today with GPS have we solved the hard, hard problem that was partially solved by finding longitude of where are you now? <laughs> what is going on in the present? Where are you? Where are we? We are all invited to ask ourselves that question all the time, not because the answer is going to be scary, but because the answer is going to help us figure out where God is in our lives and figure out how to get closer. So I want to invite you guys today, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but I'm going to lead you on a little um, prayer that I love to do, um, which is called the Examine Prayer. Anybody go to Jesuit school growing up? <laughs> Anybody know who the Ignatians are? So the Ignatians uh, are an order following St. Ignatius, old priest guy, great spiritual director, super nice dude, um, who had a set of spiritual practices and prayers that he did. And this was the one that he said, if you drop every other prayer in your life, keep this one around. Keep this one around. Because it is at evening, look over the last 24 hours and say to yourself, where was the good stuff? Where's the grace? Where's the hope? Where's the love? Where's the joy? What am I thankful for? Little moments, mundane moments, actual moments, right? Not giant lightning bolts, but the actual moments of my life. Where's the good stuff? Where am I feeling close to God? Where am I feeling grace? And then in that same mucket mess of actual everyday life, where's the stuff that's not so good? Where do I feel like I'm not the self I want to be? Where do I feel distant from God, distant from joy, distant from hope, distant from love? And looking over it, and not judging yourself for it, and not punishing yourself for it, but just looking at it and saying, okay, given that, who do I want to be more? And how do I want to find God in all of it? The self-examination prayer. So I'm going to lead you on a meditation through that. Uh, if you don't want to do it, keep your eyes open. We don't pressure people here. But if you do, enter into your body. Sit in any way that's comfy. Close your eyes. Wiggle your fingers. Stretch your shoulders. Put them up and then put them down and let that stress and painful stuff go right out. Feel your breath. 
breathe in. Breathe out. Thanks, God, for your body. The blood, for the muscles, for all of the extraordinary things it does today and every day. Thanks to God for making you to be who you are. What is a part of yourself, a gift or a grace, that you are grateful for? Open the lens a little wider. What is a part of life, a part of the world, something that you are grateful for? Give thanks to God. travel a little bit in your mind to 24 hours ago to yesterday morning or beginning of afternoon. What were you doing? Did you eat breakfast? Did you sleep late? Did you go to work? Were you with friends? Sitting on the couch? Find yourself a day ago. start to, to travel through your day. What came next? What did you do for the afternoon? What did you do for dinner? Who did you see in the evening? You watch yourself alive and living. Look for any moments where you felt fully at peace or really happy or just calm. Find a moment. Find a moment. Just see that things are good. How do you and how is God there in that moment? Now move a little bit again, maybe forwards, maybe backwards. Look for the dips in that day, the harder parts, the times when you felt frustrated or anxious or depressed. Where were the tough moments, big or small? Zero in on one. Is there a time you felt, felt disconnected? 
God, we don't have to have the answer. We just have to have the question. And we live with it if we join with one another in it. Our lives can find one more layer of depth, of richness, of being, because we are a company along the journey. And good times and bad, this too shall pass. There will be a new season. And growth is waiting for us on the other end. For this we give thanks to Jesus.